0: Chapter Three of The Web of the Golden Spider. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Web of the Golden Spider by Frederick Orrin Bartlett. Chapter Three. A Stranger Arrives. It was almost two in the morning when Wilson heard the sound of wheels in the street without and conceived the fear that they had stopped before the house. He found himself sitting rigidly upright in the room which had grown chill, staring at the dark doorway. The fire had burned low, and the girl still slept in the shadows, her cheeks pressed against her hands. He listened with suspended breath. For a moment there was no other sound, and so he regained his composure, concluding it had been only an evil dream. Crossing to the next room, he drew a blanket from the little bed and wrapped the sleeping girl about with it so carefully that she did not awake. Then he gently poked up the fire and put on more coal, taking each lump in his fingers so as to make no noise. Her face, even while she slept, seemed to lose but little of its animation, The long lashes swept her flushed cheeks. The eyes, though closed, still remained expressive. A smile fluttered about her mouth as though her dreams were very pleasant. To Wilson, who neither had a sister nor, as a boy or man, had been much among women, the sight of this sleeping girl so near to him was particularly impressive. Her utter trust and confidence in his protection stirred within him another side of the man who had stood by the gate clutching his club like a savage. She looked so warm and tender a thing that he felt his heart growing big with a certain feeling of paternity. He knew at that moment how the father must have felt when, with the warm little hand within his own, he had strode down those foreign streets conscious that every right-hearted man would turn to look at the pretty girl, with what joy he had stopped at strange bazaars to watch her eyes brighten as the shopkeepers did their best to please. Those must have been days which the father, if alive, was glad to remember. A muffled beat as upon the steps without again brought him to attention, but again the silence closed in upon it, until he doubted whether he had truly heard but the dark had become alive now, and he seemed to see strange moving shadows in the corners, and hear creakings and rustlings all about him. He turned sharply at a soft tread behind him, only to start at the snapping of a coal in the fire from the other side. Finally, in order to ease his mind, he crossed the room and looked beyond the curtains into the darkness of the hall. There was neither movement nor sound, he ventured out and peered down the staircase into the dark chasm marking the lower hall. He heard distinctly the sound of a key being fitted rather clumsily into the lock, then an inrush of air as the door was thrown open and someone entered, clutching at the wall as though unable to stand. It never occurred to Wilson to do the natural and obviously simple thing, "'awake the girl at once and steal down the stairs in the rear "'until he at least should have a chance to reconnoitre. "'It seemed necessary for him to meet the situation face to face, "'to stand his ground as though this were an intrusion upon his own domain. "'The girl in the next room was sleeping soundly in perfect faith "'that he would meet every danger that should approach her. "'And so, by the Lord, he would.' Neither she nor he were thieves or cowards, and he refused to allow her to be placed for a minute in such a position. Someone followed close behind the first man who had entered and lighted a match. As the light flashed, Wilson caught a glimpse of two men, one tall and angular, the other short and broad-shouldered. "'The—the lights aren't on, cabby,' said one of them. "'But I—I can find my way all right.' "'The devil you can, begging your pardon,' answered the other. "'I'll just go ahead of you now and—' "'No, cabby, I don't need help.' "'Just to the top of the stairs, sir. "'I know you're not weak with sickness.' The answer came like a military command, though in a voice heavy with weariness. "'Light a candle, if you can find one, and go.' The cabby struck another match and applied it to a bit of candle he found on a hall table. As the light dissolved the dark, Wilson saw the taller man straighten before the anxious gaze of the driver. "'Sacre, are you going?' exclaimed the stranger impatiently. "'Good night, sir.' "'Good night.' The words were uttered like a command. The man went out slowly and reluctantly closed the door behind him. The echo pounded suddenly in the distance. No sooner was the door closed than the man remaining slumped like an empty grain sack and only prevented himself from falling by a wild clutch at the banister. He raised himself with an effort, the candle drooping sidewise in his hand. His broad shoulders sagged until his chin almost rested upon his breast, and his big slouch hat slopped down over his eyes. His breathing was slow and labored, each breath being delayed as long as possible, as though it were accompanied by severe pain. It was clear that only the domination of an extraordinary will enabled the man to keep his feet at all. The stranger began a struggle for the mastery of the stairs that held Wilson spellbound. Each advance marked a victory worthy of a battlefield. But at each step he was forced to pause and rally all his forces before he went on to the next. First he would twine his long fingers about the rail, reaching up as far as he was able. Then he would lift one limp leg and swing it to the stair above he would then heave himself forward almost upon his face and drag the other leg to a level with the first rouse himself as from a tendency to faint and stand there blinking at the next stair with an agonized plea as for mercy written in the deep furrows of his face the drunken candle sputtered close to his side flaring against the skin of his hand and smouldering into his coat but he neither felt nor saw anything Every sense was forced to a focus on the exertion of the next step. Wilson had plenty of time to study him. His lean face was shaven, save for an iron-gray mustache, which was cropped in a straight line from one corner of his mouth to another. His eyes were half-hidden beneath shaggy brows. Across one cheek showed the red welt of an old saber wound. There was a military air about him, from his head to his feet, from the rakish angle to which his hat tumbled, to his square shoulders, braced far back even when the rest of his body fell limp, and to his feet, which he moved as though avoiding the swing of a scabbard, a military cape slipped askew from his shoulders. All these details were indelibly traced in Wilson's mind as he watched this struggle the last ten steps marked a strain difficult to watch. Wilson, at the top, found his brow growing moist in sheer agony of sympathy, and he found himself lifting with each forward heave as though his arms were about the drooping figure. A half-dozen times he was upon the point of springing to his aid, but each time some instinct bade him wait. A man with such a will as this was a man to watch, even when he was as near dead as he now appeared to be. So, backing into the shadows, Wilson watched him as he grasped the post and slouched up the last stair, seeming here to gain new strength, for he held his head higher and grasped the candle more firmly. It was then that Wilson stepped into the radius of shallow light. But before he had time to speak, he saw the eyes raised swiftly to his, saw a quick movement of the hand, and then, as the candle dropped and was smothered out in the carpet, he was blinded and deafened by the report of a pistol almost in his face. He fell back against the wall. He was unhurt, but he was for the moment stunned into inactivity by the unexpectedness of the assault. He stood motionless, smothering his breathing alert to spring at the first sound and he knew that the other was waiting for the first indication of his position to shoot again so two three seconds passed wilson feeling with the increasing tension as though an iron band were being tightened about his head the house seemed to settle into deeper and deeper silence as though it were being enfolded in layer upon layer of felt The dark about him quivered. Then he heard her voice, the startled cry of an awakened child. He sprang across the hall and threw the curtains to her side. She was standing facing the door, her eyes frightened with the sudden awakening. "'Oh!' she trembled. "'What is it?' He placed his fingers to her lips and drew her to one side, out of range of the door. She snuggled closer to him and placed her hand upon his arm. "'You're not hurt?' she asked in a whisper. He shook his head and strained his ears to the hall without. He led her to the wall through which the door opened, and pressing her close against it, took his position in front of her. Then the silence closed in upon them once again. A bit of coal kindled in the grate, "'throwing out blue and yellow flames with tiny crackling. "'The shadows danced upon the wall. "'The curtains over the oblong entrance "'hung limp and motionless and mute. "'For aught, they showed there might have been "'a dozen eyes behind them leering in. "'The points of a dozen weapons pricking through, "'the muzzles of a dozen revolvers ready to bark death. "'Each second he expected them to open.' To unmask." The suspense grew nerve-racking, and behind him the girl kept whispering, "'What is it? Tell me!' He felt her hands upon his shoulders. "'Hush! Listen!' From beyond the curtains came the sound of a muffled groan. "'Someone's hurt!' whispered the girl. "'Don't move. It's only a ruse.' They listened once more, and this time the sound came more distinct. It was the moaning breathing of a man unconscious. "'Stay where you are,' commanded Wilson. "'I'll see what the matter is.' He neared the curtains and called out. "'Are you in trouble? Do you need help?' There was no other reply but that spasmodic intake of breath. The jerky outlet through loose lips. He crossed the room and lighted the bit of remaining candle. With this held above his head, he parted the curtains and peered out. The stranger was sitting upright against the wall, his head fallen sideways, and the revolver held loosely in his limp fingers. As Wilson crossed to his side, he heard the girl at his heels. "'He's hurt!' she exclaimed. Stooping quickly, Wilson snatched the weapon from the nerveless fingers. It was quite unnecessary. The man showed not the slightest trace of consciousness. His face was ashen gray. Wilson threw back the man's coat and found the underlinen to be stained with blood. He tore aside the shirt and discovered its source, a narrow slit just over the heart. There was but one thing to do, Get the man into the next room to the fire and, if possible, staunch the wound. He placed his hands beneath the stranger's shoulders and half-dragged him to the rug before the flames. The girl, cheeks flushed with excitement, followed as though fearing to let him out of her sight. Under the influence of the heat, the man seemed to revive a bit, enough to ask for brandy and direct Wilson to a recess in the wall which served as a wine closet. After swallowing a stiff drink, he regained his voice. "'Who the devil?' he began, but he was checked by a twitch in his side. He was evidently uncertain whether he was in the hands of enemies or not. Wilson bent over him. "'Are you badly hurt? Do you wish me to send for a surgeon?' Go into the next room and bring me the leather chest you'll find there. Wilson obeyed. The man opened it and took out a vial of catgut, a roll of antiseptic gauze, several rolls of bandages, and a small, pearl-handled revolver. He leveled this at Wilson. Now, he commanded, tell me who the devil you are. Wilson did not flinch. "'Put it down,' he suggested. "'There is time enough for questions later. Your wound ought to be attended to. Tell me what to do.' The man's eyes narrowed, but his hand dropped to his side. He realized that he was quite helpless, and that to shoot the intruder would serve him but little. By far the more sensible thing to do was to use him, wilson watching him ready to spring saw the question decided in the prostrate man's mind the latter spoke sharply take one of those surgical needles and put it in the candle flame wilson obeyed and as soon as it was sterilized further followed his instructions and sewed up the wound and dressed it during this process the stranger showed neither by exclamation nor facial expression That he felt in the slightest what must have been excruciating pain. At the conclusion of the operation the man sprinkled a few pellets into the palm of his hand and swallowed them. For a few minutes after this he remained very quiet. Wilson glanced up at the girl. She had turned her back upon the two men and was staring into the flames. She was not crying but her two tightly clenched fists held closely jammed against her cheeks showed that she was keeping control of herself by an effort. It seemed to Wilson that it was clearly his duty to get her out of this at once. But where could he take her? The stranger suddenly made an effort to struggle to his feet. He had grasped his weapon once again, and now held it aggressively pointed at Wilson. "'What's the matter with you?' demanded Wilson, quietly stepping forward. "'Matter?' stammered the stranger. "'To come into your house and—and—' He pressed his hand to his side and was forced to put out an arm to Wilson for support. "'I tell you, we mean you no harm. We aren't thieves or thugs. We were driven in here by the rain.' "'But how—' by a window in the rear let us stay here until morning it is too late for the girl to go out and you'll be none the worse wilson saw the same hard determined look that he had noted upon the stairs return to the gray eyes it was clear that the man's whole nature bade him resent this intrusion it was evident that he regarded the two with suspicion although at sight of the girl who had turned this was abated somewhat. "'How long have you been here?' he demanded. "'Some three or four hours.' "'Are... are there any more of you?' "'No.' "'Has... has there been any call for me while you have been in the house?' "'No.' He staggered a little, and Wilson suggested that he lie down once more. But he refused, and, still retaining his grip on the revolver, he bade Wilson lead him to the door of the next room and leave him. He was gone some fifteen minutes. Once Wilson thought he caught the clicking as of a safe being opened. The girl, who had remained in the background all this while, now crossed to Wilson's side as he stood waiting in the doorway. He glanced up at her. In her light silk gown she looked almost ethereal and added to the ghostliness of the scene. She was to him the one thing which lifted the situation out of the realm of sheer grim tragedy, to piquant adventure from which a hundred lanes led into the unknown. She pressed close to his side as though shrinking from the silence behind her. He reached out and took her hand. She smiled up at him, and together they turned their eyes once again into the dark of the room beyond. Save for the intermittent clicking, there was silence. In this silence they seemed to grow into much closer comradeship, each minute knitting them together, as, ordinarily, only months could do. Suddenly there was a cessation of the clicking, and quickly following this the sound of a falling body. Wilson had half expected some such climax. Seizing a candle from the table before the fire, he rushed in. The stranger had fallen to the floor and lay unconscious in front of his safe. A quick glance about convinced Wilson that the man had not been assaulted, but had only fainted, probably from weakness. His pulse was beating feebly and his face was ashen wilson stooped to place his hands upon his shoulders when he caught sight of that which had doubtless led the stranger to undertake the strain of opening the safe a black ebony box from which protruded through the opened cover the golden head of a small quaint image peering out like some fat spider from its web in falling the head had snapped open so that from the interior of the thing a tiny roll of parchment had slipped out. Wilson, picking this up, put it in his pocket with scarcely other thought than that it might get lost if left on the floor. Then he took the still unconscious man in his arms and dragged him back to the fire. End of chapter 3 Recording by Roger Moline